Hello, everyone, and welcome to Marvelous Movie Mondays Season 3, Kelsey. Why is your mouth agape? Because I'm looking at your channel, and I'm just so impressed and <laughs> proud of you, Dill. Every Thank time you. I check it, the subscriber count gets bigger and bigger. Because last time I checked it, you just told me off air, you were like, oh, we're almost at 500. I was like, last time I looked at his channel, it was at like 380. But you're right. You're almost at 500 subscribers. I think that's yeah. so awesome. That's I'm exciting. I'm so happy for yeah. you. Um, we're back for season three. So this yes, is season three of the channel and of Marvelous Movie Mondays. Last week was our premiere, uh, which was our season two premiere for trivia. It's weird because trivia has only been going on for two years now. This yeah. has been going on for three. But, you know, this is our our real season opener because this is the first time we're getting to address you directly um we are all bundled up because kelsey why don't you tell everyone why we're bundled up i mean i'm sure people know okay because this is coming out monday but well we're filming this on like the coldest day of the year so far here in new york um oh. let me get the actual degree number okay so it's 18 degrees right now in new york mm. and for some reason my building just hasn't turned the heat on all my radiators are open ready for the heat to come flooding in but the i'm at the mercy of the building so yeah. i am if you're watching on video i'm all bundled up jill and i are both wearing hats yeah, i'm literally I wearing a sweatshirt <laughs> and my robe over my sweatshirt it's ridiculous i'm freezing yeah. Yeah, no, I, my, my heat's on. Like, my radiator's going. I'm just a pussy. <laughs> I'm just cold. <laughs> hey, just, pussies just are everybody. strong. Oh, yes, they are. Um, So I am wearing my Ravenclaw hat. Um, yeah. Just because, you know, it's the new year, uh, even though we are talking like about it. Marvel. Actually, we're not really talking about Marvel today. We're talking, like, kind of Marvel adjacent. Every yeah. so often when we don't really have a Marvel movie or show to talk about. And that's why we kind of took January off because, you know, we needed a break because, you know, this is a lot to keep up every week. But also, we didn't really have anything to watch. Black Panther happened and then we didn't have anything until we get Ant-Man in a few weeks. And that's why we're doing this episode. We're doing an Avengers movie club, uh, which is where we take three movies from a different Avengers actor. And this month, this week, we're talking about Paul Rudd because of Ant-Man mm -hmm. Quantumania. Um, and we wanted to talk about three of his films. So we're going to be talking about Clueless. We're going to be talking about role models. And we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, but before we do that, it has been a while. So we have some Marvel news. Um, nice. Specifically, we love to talk about it. And especially this year, because this is history making. Um, the Academy Awards nominated five nominations for Marvel this year, and they were all for the same movie. It was for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Um, nice. And the most interesting thing is that it only overlapped in two categories. So the last Black Panther got a few more nominations, but the last Black Panther picked up an original song nomination and a costume design win. Um, and this movie picked up a costume design nomination for the same costume designer and an original song nomination for Rihanna and uh, Ryan Coogler, uh, mm -hmm. for doing Lift Me Up, the song dedicated to Chadwick Boseman. But the mm -hmm. interesting thing is that this movie picked up three awards that the first one wasn't nominated for, one of them being Best Visual Effects. Black Panther famously was snubbed for visual effects for the first one. I've gone on air saying I don't like mm -hmm. the rhinos in that movie, but I also don't really love the, <laughs> the visual effects in this one, but it was clearly enough for the Academy. Um, they nominated for visual effects. And then another one that was surprisingly omitted from the last Black Panther, but was nominated here was makeup and hairstyling. So the makeup finally got recognized for this one. Nice. And I do think that's worthy. I love the Namor makeup. I love all the different tribal makeup and all that stuff. So I'm surprised the first one didn't. And then the big one, the one that got nominated, and this is interesting because aside from wandavision with the emmys really in the oscars no marvel performances have been nominated 
for acting Oscars. And we got not only a nomination for Angela Bassett for Best Supporting Actress, but we saw her win the Globe and mm -hmm. win the Critics' Choice, which means there's a very good chance she'll go on to win the SAG, the BAFTA, and the Oscar. So she's the front runner now for the Oscar, not just a nomination, but the front runner to win when the last Black Panther didn't get any acting nominations. The Marvel movies in general have not gotten any nominations, even the ones that aren't produced by uh, Marvel Studios and stuff like the X-Men movies like Logan, Hugh Jackman never got nominated. So this is a huge feat. The only other comic book performances, the only other superhero movie performances that got nominated were, of course, Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix, who both played the Joker, and they both won. Mm. So I, mm. I think that's probably a good, uh, good indicator that when an Oscar-nominated performance comes from a superhero movie, there's a good chance that they're really big fans of them. Um, so Angela Bassett, if she wins, will join Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix in that kind of rare trifecta of superhero movie performances and she'd be the first hero to win uh, a superhero oscar if she wins i mean she there's still a lot of time before the oscars but five nominations for black panther wakanda forever dr strange and thor didn't get a single one not too surprised there though i did think mm. may squeak in for visual effects any thoughts on the oscar nominations Kels? i mean i'm just really pumped for angela bassett like you said dill she's on the track to, you know, having a really good shot at winning it. And I think that it would be a very well-deserved award. She gave a strong and powerful performance in this film. And uh, it would just be such, like, a nice little, you know, not send-off, but, like, you know, a nice little nod to Chad Chadwick Boseman, almost. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, because as we remember, <laughs> when Chadwick was supposed to win his Oscar... Um, yeah, that did not happen because uh, they saved his Oscar for last. And I love Anthony Hopkins and the father. This is not a slight to him, but mm. when you plan the whole show to lead up to Chadwick's Oscar and then he doesn't get it, it's like, oh, shit. Um, so yeah. that, that, was, that was kind of uh, <laughs> unfortunate that it went that way. Um, but we do have other Oscar nominations to talk about, ones that were not Marvel ones, but Marvel actors, um, starting, of course, with Michelle Yeoh, who has been in uh, a few Marvel movies, but especially Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, actually, I believe that's maybe the only Marvel movie she's been in, but she's been in a lot of other great movies, and she got nominated for Everything Everywhere all at once. Um, Kate Blanchett, who played Hela in Thor Ragnarok, got nominated for Best Actress for the movie Tar. Um, I believe that's it for that category. For Best Actor, um, no Marvel actors there. Supporting Actress, yes, we saw Angela Bassett. We also saw Carrie Condon, who I believe is the voice of Friday, right, Kelsey? Is she yes, the voice of Friday? Yes, she yes. is. Uh, Carrie Condon getting nominated for the Banshees of Inishirin. Uh, mm -hmm. We also see in Supporting Actor... Um, we we see Barry Keoghan uh, from Eternals getting nominated for the Banshees of Sharon, and we see Brian Tyree Henry from the Eternals getting nominated for Causeway. So two Eternals picking up supporting actor nominations. Wow. And then two other ones, Stephanie Hsu, who was in Everything Everywhere All at Once. She's also in a few scenes of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. She's the friend at the bar um, who's like, oh, I don't believe that superhero shit. And then they open the portals and she's like, oh, shit. Um, she is nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Everything Everywhere All at Once as well. Um, and then Kei Hoi Kwan, who is not in Marvel Cinematic Universe yet, but he's going to be in season two of Loki, also nominated for Everything Everywhere All at Once and is likely going to win that Oscar. So a lot of Marvel actors, I'm just going to rattle it off one more time, Kate Blanchett, Michelle Yeoh, Angela Bassett, Carrie Condon, Stephanie Hsu, Kei Hoi Kwan, Barry Keoghan, and Brian Tyree Henry, all picking up Oscar nominations. That's very exciting. Uh, and that's kind of the spirit of the show we're doing today is seeing an actor and seeing what work they do outside of 
Marvel, and it's cool to see them get recognized outside of it. Dale, I have this is really off topic, but I have I've had this thought for yeah. for like about a week now. It's been you know mulling around in my head a little bit, and I have a little bit of a, of a prediction for mm. you know Phase Five, Phase Six of the oh, MCU, okay. and I yeah. think that we might see a well-known actor who's kind of you know been having a lot of good roles under her belt recently doing a lot of great projects and a lot of great things. Um, I think she might join the MCU. This is my prediction for the future of the MCU. Because of stuff Um, you read or just an an inkling? No, just because I have an inkling because I feel like the MCU likes to pick up actors when they've kind of like, you know, have, yeah, have done really good things. Mm. So do you want to know who it is? (laughs) Yeah. Wait, let me guess. Let me guess. Okay, um, go ahead. So g- can you give me like a hint of like what projects they're in? Like are they in like, um, Netflix stuff or Oh. Lot. Well, no, may- I was going to say Jenna Ortega, but she's already been in it. She was in Iron Man. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I was it's not Jenna Ortega. But um, I would love to see her as an older person be Think TV and think comedy. Oh god, Jennifer Coolidge? Oh. <laughs> Very close, very close, but no. Shoot my webs. Oh, uh, Aubrey Plaza. (laughs) Yeah, that's who you're thinking. That's my prediction for Phase uh, Five and Six of the MCU. I don't know. I could see her totally being like a a baddie or like someone's like side character turned into hero type type of storyline for her. Yeah, I don't know. I just see it. Yeah, I can see her in in kind of like a She-Hulk type show where like she's kind of more laid back, but not like you know. Yeah, it's more laid back tv atmosphere but she gets to kind of be her dry sense of humor that'd be great if aubrey plaza if you're watching this which of course you are um <laughs> obviously <laughs> and you 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 are in the mcu let us know in the comments below because you're allowed to do that <laughs> yeah kevin feige will allow it yeah for marvel's um, movie mondays yeah tell him yeah um so there you go and obviously another big piece of news is dc which we're not going to talk about because we're not a dc podcast but james gunn released his like big slate of movies uh, for DC. He, he did his Kevin Feige announcement ever since he became the Kevin Feige of DC. He just dropped his whole announcement of like, here's what I'm doing. Uh, and oh, it looks wow. exciting. I mean, I'm excited. Um, but that's for another time, another show, another place, another way. Uh, let's talk about Paul Rudd, though. That's why we're let's here today. Paul Rudd, who's never been nominated for an Oscar yet. Um, so and I do have some background on Paul Rudd. Like, Please I give us all, to do. All, the, all the history of Rudd. So it was, I didn't see much about like how he really got into acting. Like his parents, first of all, I didn't know both of his parents are from London and then they Mm. moved to, oh, I hit the mic. I'm so sorry if that was an obnoxious sound you just heard. Um, They, he, his parents are originally from London, moved to America. Um, Paul Rudd was born on April 6th. So he is an Aries, just like you, Dill. You know where Um, he was born, right? He was born in Passaic, New Jersey. Yeah, baby. I don't know represent. about Passaic, but like New Jersey, represent. Let's go. Oh, that well, that's according to Wikipedia. It was Passaic. Yeah, no, I just don't um, know where that is, but that's awesome. Oh, I think it's by like the Rutherfords. I think. Oh, okay. Oh, I could, okay. could yeah, be yeah, wrong. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah okay. I think it's in like the Newark area, like somewhere mm, around there. Okay. So I've probably been um, near or in Passaic. Yeah. Um, he went to, so he ended up moving to Missouri. Um, he lived in California for like a hot minute. I think like moved back to somewhere in Missouri. Um, he ended up going to school in the university of Kansas where he majored in theater. 
Um, he started off his career making, you know, guest starring roles, um, doing TV appearances. In 1995, he landed Clueless, which we'll discuss is like his big kind of breakout performance. Um, he then went on to play Mike Hannigan in Friends, uh, Phoebe Buffet's, you know, husband that she, uh, she ends up marrying, if you know Friends. Um, and in 2004, that's kind of where his career took a major leap was when he started working with Judd Apatow in mm -hmm. uh, the Anchorman movies. And then he kind of just went on to blow up. Um, yeah. Like there. all those raunchy comedies. Yeah. yeah. Virgin knocked up. Exactly. And the, one, yeah. the one we'll talk about role models. Yeah. Um, like you said, Dill, he doesn't have any Oscar noms under his belt, but he does have one Golden Globe nomination under his belt for uh, Best Actor in a TV Series Musical Comedy for uh, Living With Yourself, which was a show oh, that he cool. did on Netflix. It was a really interesting concept. I never actually got around to watching it, but I remember... It, it's like he lives like with this clone of himself or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I watched, I think I watched the first episode of it and wasn't hooked, but my roommate mm -hmm. Landon, you know, Landon, he watched yeah. all of it and loved it. I think a few oh, times wow. he watched it. So, so he's a fan. So maybe I'll have to check out the whole we'll thing. We'll have at to some check point. it out. But I was definitely a big friends guy. Like he was a great part of friends. And it's so interesting just watching his career, seeing how he molds into like the really funny guy, because I feel like yeah. he starts as kind of just like the, nice guy like he's just the guy you know he, he doesn't right. really have this like any not i don't want to say unique but like he he's not like a slapstick kind of like jim carrey like comedian you know? no no like no um and he, he doesn't have like a that, but yeah it's yeah. all of his i feel like his acting and his comedy for sure is definitely more on the subtle side yeah and yeah he just comes off as a really charismatic charming dude right. Yeah, but even earlier in his career, he's not even like he's not even comedic. He, he like friends. I, I wouldn't say he's like a funny part of friends. He's just kind of there yeah. as like a romantic interest. And we'll talk about it with Clueless because I think like that's a really good indicator of kind of like the the more the most subdued and most subtle version of him. Um, do you want to get right into Clueless since we're since we're there? Yeah, let's cool. get let's there. Let's get into Clueless. Nineteen ninety five. Amy Heckerling. Do you have anything to say about yes. Clueless? Um, in terms of well, synopsis or something like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, obviously, first of all, Dale, uh, this was not my first rodeo with Clueless. Um, this, being... I'll tell you right now, this is my first. <laughs> no way! This was the yeah. first time you watched Clueless? Well, okay, so it was always the whole, like, Clueless versus Mean Girls, Clueless versus Mean Girls. And I know for, like, different eras, that's different, because, like, if you grew up yeah. and Clueless came out when you were young, it, Clueless is your movie. And then Mean Girls came later, and people were like, oh, it's just another Clueless. But right. for us, we were born after Clueless and like Mean Girls was like that movie for us. So I never really went back to Clueless because people were like, oh, you either like Clueless or you like Mean Girls. And I was like, well, I love Mean Girls. So I just never really felt the urge to go back to Clueless. I don't know. And yeah. also just like the whole Brittany Murphy tragedy. It was always hard. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I don't really want to watch that. Like it makes me sad when I whenever I watch an actor who died young, it's always hard to sure. watch. Like, it's hard to walk to watch Chadwick Boseman stuff now. Like if they die when they're older, it's, it's also very sad. But it's like, oh, they lived a great life. But when they die yeah. so young, it's why. I have trouble watching the original West Side Story with Natalie Wood, like, you know, stuff mm. like that. So there's a little a lot of reasons why I never really went to Clueless. And because I'm a fan of Emma. So like, I just like to read the book. I'd rather read it than go watch an adaptation of it. But I yeah. did watch it finally for this. Obviously, I, I did sit there and watch it. Um, but yeah, wow. this is my first video. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to hear what you thought. Um, well, first of all, I know you were saying Clueless versus Mean Girls. But I do. I feel like it's necessary to point out that neither one of these is really the original kind of mean girl high school storyline. Mm. I think we have to credit Heather's 
that came out yeah. in 1988 before, okay. you know, because I feel like they're all very much like a, a yeah. variant of Heathers, yeah. if you Like will. the whole John Hughes era. Yeah, like even like yeah. Breakfast Club has shades of it and Ferris yeah, Bueller sure. is more for like the male perspective. But yeah, for sure. Like yeah. it, it's all those teen comedies. I mean, that was really the era. It was like the 80s to the thousands. Like that was it. Like right now we're not seeing a lot of those. Like I think the last yeah. like, huge one that really broke broke out and burst on the scenes was like Lady Bird. And then maybe mm. Booksmart, but even Booksmart yeah. didn't get the best box office. Like, and Lady Bird didn't either, but because well, Lady Bird picked up Oscars and stuff, you know. It's funny that you say that, Dill, because I think it's because like the movie industry and like the demographics for movies have just changed throughout, you know, yeah. the years. Because I think that like Clueless, like Mean Girls, like these kind of movies, like these quote unquote chick flick movies were really like hammered in to, for like a very specific demographic to view and enjoy mm -hmm. and it was you know young teenage girls and right. now we we you know we as like a society has evolved past the point of having like very gender specific movies and it's mm -hmm. like movies nowadays are made for like all types of audiences you know what i mean yeah. and i'm wondering if streaming has something to do with it too because like a lot of the yeah. stuff that we see is like chick flicks like um you know just when you look at netflix there's a few of them like the kissing booth and tall girl yeah. and i'm not saying these are good movies but like you know even <laughs> even like the uh to all the boys i love before all those things yeah. are dropping right to streaming if they did go to right. theaters who knows they might have may have been like these smash hit money makers who knows right um, right which is which is kind of like something that is a little sad to, to think about like oh man like I would have loved to see what would have happened for their legacies because now they're just kind of on Netflix and I feel like people kind of forget about them after like two years. Um, yeah. Because they made the sequels even and now they've kind of forgotten about them. Um, yeah. Which happens with a lot of Netflix stuff. And now we're what all going to forget because we can't share our passwords anymore. But that's another story. <laughs> another story. <laughs> what I was excited to learn through this uh, rewatch, I can't believe I didn't know this before, but it was directed and written by Amy Heckerling. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, yeah, women represent. That's amazing. Yeah, so, Amy Heckerling uh, directed, yeah, like Look Who's Talking, European Vacation, and famously Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is another one which is very much about like the teenage high school experience. The only difference is that one was written by Cameron Crowe, whereas here you have something that's written and directed by Amy Heckerling. And I think it shows. I think definitely you can definitely see when it's her directing a male script versus her directing mm -hmm. her own script. It's a big right. difference, I think, yeah. So let's get into it, Dill. Here's a little synopsis that I wrote for Clueless. Um, privileged high schooler Cher tries to navigate real-life responsibilities, taking the new girl in town under her wing and her complicated crush on her stepbrother. Yes. And I think that's, like, the first point of, like, contention that this movie has for some people is, like, is it incest? <laughs> is it... I mean... Um, well, and, and the whole thing is that they try yeah. to really stress the fact that like he is her father's like second wife's stepson or whatever like that he's not like even that. married yeah. to anymore yeah, like, yeah there's no blood relation but I, I feel like once you cross that that line yeah you really go backwards you know what I mean yeah um so that's always been something because I mean I've read Emma like I said like this is based on Emma which is a classic Jane Austen book mm -hmm. have you ever read that one Kels or I have not actually okay. um but I I read that book and I also saw the adaptation with Anya Taylor-Joy that came out a few years ago which is so mm -hmm. good um it's beautifully designed but you know that's just that story so like i'm a little bit more forgiving because i'm like well that's what the book is about too it's like this guy who was like kind of connected to the family now he's not and she's kind of plays with him like he's like this dumb brother but then she ends up liking him and right. um yeah and, and i think 
a lot of the issues that one might have with the story either in terms of what happens or like the structure because it is a little all over the place you know it's like is it about her with this makeover oh no it's about her trying to get this guy oh no but now her friend likes this guy no now she likes this guy now her friend likes the brother now she likes the brother what's going on it's so much intertwining um and and i i first looked at that as a negative like this play yeah. this plot is all over the place what is the singular plot of this movie but then yeah. i realized hey it's based on a book emma and i think emma just from a book perspective i think with a book you're able to kind of like lay out the plot a little easier because you have more time to tell the story than in like an hour and a half like this movie but also mm-hmm. i was thinking high school is all over the place so it kind of makes sense you know what i mean like yeah high school is like that you'll move on to a different crush every single week so like i i get get it from that perspective and for that reason i think it actually is like successful in showing that kind of always flowing with the wind type nature of high school you know yeah yeah dill i i totally agree with what you're saying because when i sat down and i tried to write the synopsis i was like what is the plot of the movie? I was like, how do I sum this up in like two to three sentences? Like what everything that goes on in this movie, because it starts mm-hmm. with her, like trying to get her grades up. That seems to be the main mission of the, of the beginning. It's like, Oh, I, I need to get better grades. So I'm going to get my two teachers to be in, you know, romantic with each other so that they're happier. So they give us all better grades. And then she's trying to, you know, it's the, it's the, you know, Regina George and Katie Heron relationship they're trying to like make Ty like you know uh the new popular girl in school and then she tries getting with uh you know the gay guy in school not realizing <laughs> that he's gay yeah and yeah so it's it, it is a little bit all over the place but I really appreciate this movie just because I love a quotable movie and I love like this they this movie's like yeah. filled with iconic moments iconic imagery mm. um Cher is just such like like a I almost want to say like an anti-hero but she's not really because she does everything thinking that she's doing it out of the goodness of her heart but it is still self-serving at the end of the day she's complicated and I like her but I still think it's better than like Regina George because Regina George is like very clearly you know ulterior motives and stuff like that exactly I find find Cher very endearing I I do I, I think she doesn't mean well and I think it's one of those kind of like um even Elle Woods type things where it's like, maybe you're not doing this with like the right intentions, but you're doing it with the best intentions. Right. Um, and I, I think that's, that's a good way to say, it. and I think Alicia Silverstone also does play it really well to where like, yeah, you kind of fall in love with her. Um, yeah. I think the biggest issue though, is that at the end of the day, this is eventually a romance between her and Paul Rudd. And I think Paul Rudd kind of what I was alluding to earlier He's kind of a, if he wasn't Paul Rudd, I think he's a kind of nothing character here. Like, I really do. Like, he's there as like a circumstantial thing. Like, she brings up the fact that he's the brother. But I feel like we need a little bit more connection between them. Because I feel like in the second half, they just start showing like him glimpsing and like smiling at her. And I'm like, wait, where did all this come from? Like, I almost wish there was a little bit more conflict maybe earlier on. And then like there's one scene where they really connect. Like when he picks her up and drives her home, I feel like that could be the scene yeah. where you really have like this really emotional connection moment. Um, and I was just waiting for something like that to click. Whereas like it was just kind of like it came out of the blue. I knew it was coming because I've read the book, but it was like it kind of came out of the blue. And again, if sure. it wasn't Paul Rudd, is he that much of a charismatic presence? Like I think Paul Rudd does a lot of heavy lifting for that role. But I wish yeah. we like loved Josh just as much as she did to where we like, felt that because i didn't but maybe maybe it's also from my perspective i don't know kelsey because also paul rudd's a dreamboat so like did you fall in love with josh (laughs) in this movie 
Yeah, I I mean it's it's complicated. Like their their whole romance has some layers to it, right? Because it's almost like enemies to lovers, and then it's almost like a forbidden romance because they have this like weird familial connection mm-hmm. that like not that you know it's not right. really existent anymore. So it's kind of like it's more about like the tension and like the I, I feel like the build up to their romance, even though like you're saying there's really not much of that happening because we only see them interact like so like so many times but like you know you kind of see it in the way where when she's going out on the date where she has like the infamous calvin klein dress line where she's like what is what are you wearing a dress says who calvin klein like when she's going on the uh date for the first the quote-unquote date for the first time with christian you know, he's he's like, you're not going to let her wear that, right? He starts getting a little territorial, a little jealous. You know, you can see it in that scene. And then later on when Ty is like, oh, I think I have a crush on Josh. She's like, "Uh, no, like, I can't let that happen. Like, you guys would just never work out. So then you kind of start seeing these signs mm. of like, oh, you guys are crushing on each other. I see what's happening here. Yeah. But I mean, I just like you keep saying, Dill, like, if it wasn't Paul Rudd, like, yeah, this character would probably fall really flat. And I think that just like commends like his ability to like really balance like the like annoyingly playful, you know, kind of like grumpy, uh, you know, grump to her sun sunshine kind of trope. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just like this beautiful balance between being like playful and like annoying her and bullying her, but then like also, you know, being there for her at the end of the day and being, you know, her kind of like rock or her moral compass you know he helps her with the driving lesson he picks her up after she gets held up at gunpoint traumatizing (laughs) this movie's all over the place no yeah it's like um Cher lives a crazy life yeah I, i do agree though like he is very charismatic but even then like i think like he's only gotten more funny like i i think this movie is probably his tamest in terms of like this and Mike and friends. Like it's very much feels sure. like he is a supporting role in the fact that he has to kind of play the straight man because yes. everyone around him is so colorful a personality. Whereas yeah. in other movies, he gets to be the colorful personality. And even in role models, which we'll talk about, I think he even plays that role of like kind of the more straight man to the other more chaotic presence, but he yeah. still gets a few more moments to be chaotic. Whereas here, I really don't think he has those like big moments of comedy. Like I don't find much of his stuff funny in here and it doesn't have to be like, there's mm-hmm. so much other funny stuff and I, I think going back to the great stuff about this movie i think it is so funny like there are so many great one-liners mm-hmm. and not just one-liners but visual gags like a tie falling down the stairs gets me every time i watch it like 40 <laughs> times in the like the prom right it's a prom or something yeah or, the, or this dance and, and she just falls down the stairs it's so funny um and then when she's on the bed trying to like play play footsie with christian and yeah, she yeah, falls yeah. off the bed those yeah. visual cues are so so funny um and it, it really is refreshing to see like i i really do miss kind of like you said like that era of like you know where these were like more mainstream movies because we really don't get that much like i feel like everything's yeah. thrown onto netflix and it sucks because like this stuff is is it's so refreshing after you watch like a heavy movie like uh after you you know i i watched one of these like really dramatic international film nominees for the oscars earlier that day and then i came home and watched mm-hmm. clueless and i was like oh this is like a breath of fresh air compared to that really yeah. sorrowful film about suicide i was like all right this is great right. um <laughs> and and you know in heather's case like it kind of blends both <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah clueless though I, I think it's a really nice breath of fresh air even if some of it's a little dated some of it's a little all over the place but i think at its heart and at its core it's, it's strong for sure yeah absolutely um oh, i forgot what i was gonna say yeah oh yeah 
I just think that Paul Rudd is so good at like just being quick and like witty. Mm. Like he's really good at like the throwaway. Like if you've ever like been doing comedy and like taking an acting class, like I'm at some point a teacher has told you just throw that line away. And you don't really know what that means. But if you watch Paul Rudd, like you can get a master class on what the throwaway line is. Like he's so good at just like, he's so good at not giving too much. Like he doesn't play into the comedy. Like he just like, you know, plays into like, he's very subtle and it's very um, just like relaxed and Mm -hmm. like, it's just an ease to his comedy that I love so much. Mm -hmm. And with Amy Heckerling's script, that's also a tribute to her because she is able to write something that you don't have to really go for the comedy. It's there yeah. for you and you just have yeah. to say the line. I exactly. think that's a big strength is like he just has to say the line and because she wrote something so funny, it delivers. Um, and I think that's this whole movie is, oops, I'm trying to like fix my hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but cameras, we're mirrored. Yeah, so I totally, mirrored. yeah, um, I get it. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I do like this one. I, I think with more watches, I like it more. But like as a first watch, this was nice. But again, I'm still team Mean Girls. Like if we're gonna compare Mean Girls, sure. is the for me the S tier film. This is more like high B tier or like mid B tier, just because I haven't seen yeah. it a bunch. But like Mean Girls, man, like that's superior. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and on this watch through, Dill, I finally like. I don't know how this joke didn't click for me before, but when they first meet Ty in the gym class. And she's like, oh, I'm like, just like feeling all nervous. Like I could, you know, go for like an herbal supplement. Like if you guys know what I'm talking about. And she's like clearly asking for weed. But they're like, oh, like, uh, we don't know if we, I don't think we have any tea in the cafeteria, but you could get Coke if you want. And she's like, no shit, you guys got Coke here? Yeah, and they're like, yeah. obviously talking about Coca-Cola. And then I'm like, on I on drugs. Yeah. Right. And then I was just like, I was like, oh this is a bit about drugs i get yeah. it and it, it was yeah it was just like one no, of that's those so moments too, cause, like cause ty, yeah they make it out to be that ty is the clueless one but i think kind of the right. irony is that she's she's a little ditzy but i think she knows a lot more than she leads on like the fact that she's yeah. like you know she's right the, the girls are clueless that she's talking about drugs but she's also clueless yeah that they're talking about soda so I, I don't know maybe they're all clueless um but yeah, yeah really fun and rest in peace Brittany murphy that, that's just so sad to see i'm like oh Brittany murphy yeah. gone too soon she's great in this too i, I think she's yeah. probably my favorite part of it um cool that's clueless uh, what would you give this out of 10 we we um, got a rate I, I gave clueless an eight out of ten all right, I went a little lower. I went seven out of ten, but still, high. okay, pretty good. Um, all right, so let's let's move on to role models, shall we? Let's do it. Um, okay, role models uh, came out in two thousand and eight. It was directed by David Wayne. Um, he's famous for directing Wet Hot American Summer, which mm. correct me if I'm wrong. Also stars Paul. It does. Rudd. It does. Okay, that's yep. what I thought. That's what I thought because I I don't even I've never seen the original. I just know from the reboot he was in it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was yeah, like, so I, he must be in the original. Yeah. I mean, narrowing this down to three films is always tough, but we try to go for his breakout, which was clueless. And then we go for like something that's really new, which in this case was afterlife. And then we kind of like went with, okay, let's find one of his like mid two thousands comedies that kind of like yeah. indicates the performance of Ant-Man. But then we were like Anchorman, everyone's seen it. And like, this one is also one that I think like i hadn't seen i don't know if you'd seen no Um, i have not yeah so like it was kind of just a chance to see something new and then also because i think this is the biggest part he's had of all these movies like i think he's a supporting character in anchorman he's supporting and knocked up in wet hot american summer he's supporting so this is kind of like his leading role so we we figured you know let's let's go role models and um 
David Wayne has also directed a few episodes of New Girl, if you're a fan of New Girl. And he's also wow. directed some episodes of Miracle Workers. Um, it's, a, I believe, an Amazon Prime show with Daniel Radcliffe. Um, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so that was just like a little bit on David Wayne, because I'm always curious about like what other things I kind of get into. And also, we chose Role Models because Paul Rudd has a writing credit on it. He helped write oh, the script right. for it. Yes, he did. So we wanted to, you know, get a taste of what he's like, you know, behind the camera as much as he is in front of it. Um, so here's my uh, little synopsis for role models. After getting into some trouble with the law, best friends Danny and Wheeler have to do community service hours being mentors to troubled kids. Yeah. Um <laughs> I was watching this movie. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be like your stereotypical, like, this is not acceptable nowadays kind yep. of humor. And there's some of yep. it. There's some of it. But I was surprised at how much heart it did have at the end. Yeah. I was like, because you know, it's kind of going to go there. But I was like, wow, like a majority of this is them trying to connect with these kids. Yeah. And like him trying to get his life together for this girl. And I didn't expect that. I thought it would be a lot more of like kind of like a jackass with kids, just like the kids clowning sure. around and doing shit. And yeah. you see that a lot more with Sean William Scott's kid that he mentors is more of like the kind of very verbal. Uh, uh, what's what's the word? Uh, profane. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, whereas Watch whereas Paul, Paul Rudd's kid is more of like the, the one who's just kind of doesn't fit in not just with his peers he fits in with his peers it's more he doesn't fit in with his family or with society um and i yeah. actually really like that like i was like wow this is actually kind of touching and it kind of gave me new girl vibes at the end of like the adults doing silly stuff and and mm -hmm. like kind of helping out the kid like it did feel very jessica day <laughs> like jessica day would would dress up in the, the yeah. royal regal medieval shit no questions asked like, absolutely like, it gave me that vibe and I'll admit there's some humor that's definitely dated, but at, yeah, I think all in all, I really enjoyed this. Like I was surprised how much I enjoyed this because yeah. I expected a different movie going in. And I, I think it's always refreshing when you get something a lot more nuanced, not nuanced. That's a wrong word for it, but a little more thoughtful and heart heartfelt than, than I expected. Um, but what was your thought on this Kels as a first time viewer? Yeah, Dill, it was super, super dated, like right off the bat, you know, like the F slurs getting thrown around and yeah, like that words like yeah. homo and like, you know, like calling people gay in like a negative way, like all that stuff. I was like, oh, my God, this is so 2008. I cannot believe we were to like be, this. Like, this is so fair, embarrassing. Though, there is a scene in Clueless where the guy's rattling off all these gay slurs when he's talking about Christian. He is. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, so you see that in a lot of movies. It, it, it's yes. not just a, it's a flaw of. I think movies in general, not necessarily the specific movies, but I get what you're saying though. Yeah. It's no, it's, it's cringy. There is some really dated stuff in clueless as well. They also say the R word in, in clueless mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I'm not saying clueless is any better. It's probably right, 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 right. worse, but um, yeah, I really didn't really start coming around to this movie until like really towards the second half of it. Like when, you know, uh, Paul Rudd's character, um, really starts coming around to the idea. I think it was when he went, he ate dinner with um, Christopher Mintz Plass. Is that who Ms. you Plass, his name? Yeah. Um, Mintz Plass, yeah. Uh, Mintz We can just call his... him McLovin if you want. <laughs> yeah, McLovin. Yeah, literally. McLovin's character, <laughs> Augie, he goes to dinner with his parents and kind of sees how like his family 
responds to him being involved in like the LARPing um, and, and all that stuff. And like, he really is like, no, like your kid's awesome. Like he should do what makes him happy. And I think that's when I kind of started like coming around to mm-hmm. the movie. Like it really got, I feel like really heartwarming um, after right. from there on out. But for the, mm-hmm. for the most part, I was like, I think that this is Paul Rudd's most unlikable character I've ever seen well, him in. Well, that's the thing. And that's why I kind of liked it. Cause I was like, Dork. we're seeing a new side to him. We're seeing like a total asshole. Cause he yeah. is he's a total asshole. Like he gets in this fight with the coffee shop people early on where he's like, uh, Venti is, it does not mean large in Italian. Grande oh, yeah. means large and tall means large, but Venti does not mean large in Italian. And that's your only size for large. Like this is, he's correcting this yeah, girl. Yeah, she's yeah. like, fuck off, dude. But then she's also, but then his, his girlfriend at the time is like, you know, Venti means 20 ounces. And he's like, oh, fuck. Um, you know, like, <laughs> it, it, he's, he's so, he's such an asshole. And I think that's the whole point is that yeah. Sean William Scott's character really isn't. He's just kind of, immature so it's like you got someone who's immature and then someone who's just a jerk and to kind of pair them with these kids it kind of shows sean william scott how to be more mature but also paul rudd's character how to just be nice um and i kind of like that because paul rudd like i said with clueless it was almost like i've seen it before like kind of just like the you know he's kind of the sweet guy on the side um and then ghostbusters afterlife is more of like the ant-man thing where like he's a little bit more he does a little more action but here it was like very interesting because it was like someone who's very unlikable and he has this arc. For me, I started to come around to him at the campfire when he was talking to him uh, by mm-hmm. the campfire with uh, with McLovin and, you know, talking about he was, like, knitting him or sewing him the little badge or whatever. And like, there was this nice, sweet moment. Um, like, I, I think that's where I started to come around to him. Um, and then when he told off the king, he was like, he he killed you, he killed you, um, to Ken Jeong's character, which I also yeah. love, his little yeah. appearance in. Um, but yeah, I, I think I liked that movie, the movie because of that, because it's an unconventional performance from him, but he still gets to be Paul Rudd at the end, that's the thing, like, he still gets to be what we know him as, but there's right. a journey to get there, he's, he's not the same character from the beginning to the end, whereas I'd argue in Clueless, and in the next film we'll talk about, he is kind of the same character consistently throughout, whereas here I think he changes, and I think even in yeah. Ant-Man, we kind of see like Scott Lang, Scott Lang. And I think this is the only time I've really seen this huge arc to where it feels like night and day in a good way um, for his character. So I really like that aspect, but I agree. It's hard to get into because he is so unlikable and you're like, wow, like I don't want to watch you. I hate you. Um, and, and that's why I think it's also important is because you want to be able to take the kid's side from the very be- for, from the very get-go and yeah. then see the adults change. And I think, cause a lot of other movies would be more about try to fix this kid. But this movie is trying to say, no, the kid's fine. It's yeah. you got to fix the, the role model. Um, and right. I, I, I like that aspect a lot. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. I like that deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I noticed that in this film and just like some of his other work, like even we can kind of even see it in Ghostbusters afterlife. Like he kind of really likes these roles that feel like, almost like a some sort of like savior to like he i feel like a a mentor figure to some younger uh character just because like in this one he kind of like takes on like almost like a father figure type role to mclovin's character because it's not like his biological father he's living with it's like his the stepfather or like his mom's boyfriend or something i don't even know if they're actually married but he you know really steps in as like a father figure type role you can also 
see this in the fundamentals of caring the movie that mm. he was in in netflix which is definitely more of like a, a drama more of a serious role that mm. he um took on doing as a caretaker to um uh i forget what he has he but um i think he might be paraplegic um but you know he kind of has these like savory like mentory roles that i think paul rudd's just so good at playing just because right. you know it's not hard for him to like really be empathetic and um just kind of want to be there for these uh other characters which i yep. like he just seems yeah. like such a nice guy like <laughs> yeah. i want to grab a beer with him <laughs> right um but I, I think we should talk about the comedy because there's some that's like kind of you know cringy but there's some like i said with clue that's like visual stuff that just like i was cracking up and and i didn't want to i didn't expect to because i was looking mm. at this i was like this is the movie it came out when we were 10 years old and i was like i remember being told i couldn't see this in theaters because it looked raunchy and, uh -huh. you know, I, I heard it was inappropriate. And I was like, oh, OK, this is going to be one of those like stupid, like kind of mid 2000s, cringy male gaze comedies. And to an extent right. it is. But but there are so many like even in the beginning when they're selling that that energy drink. And I think you turned your mic off by accident. Um, they like have that energy drink and <laughs> he, he starts peeing and it's just green. Yeah. <laughs> like, that yeah. Cracked up. And then the other one is no pun intended, cracked up when when the camera cuts to stifler i, I call him stifler because that's his character in american pie uh sean william scott's just laying face down in the middle of the yeah. campground yeah yeah <laughs> and, yeah yeah that was really funny like yeah the visual gags in this are so funny as well and, and yes. jane lynch's character too like that she's in charge of this like uh, program for kids but she's like just a little bit off or it's a little bit problematic like yes. she's great in this movie uh elizabeth banks kind of takes on like the more straight role like in terms of just yeah like, you know just kind of consistent but even she has like good moments like i really liked just all the performances in this i think sean william scott he's not the best actor but he's funny as fuck like he he just makes me laugh so much yeah uh, in this movie especially um yeah like just i i really laughed a lot in this movie like more than i yeah. expected to and i think that's the thing is i expected clueless to be this masterpiece so when i saw it i was like this is good whereas here i was like this is not gonna be good and i was like this is good and i think i was oh, like wow. this more because i got like more of a like surprise out of it i don't know do you have any well, like funny moments that stand out to you i i really like you said like i think it was the physical comedy and the visual gags that were the funniest because i think that we've just evolved to the point where like what was written most of the mm. jokes that were written or like we just see as like outdated and like just super offensive right. at this point where i think in clueless the writing is smarter and mm -hmm. even when it's because like it's not always offensive the things that are you know being said in no. clueless like you know like her iconic like as if moment and like the uh driving on the freeway is like really funny and in, in clueless um but yeah the the visual gags i really um liked the i mean i liked any scene where it was like the medieval like they're fighting Marvin. and like they're yeah. And they're talking in old English. Like, I thought that, like, that was all super funny, especially <laughs> since we had just watched, like, LARPing Hawkeye. in Hawkeye. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, a Marvel reference and it didn't even realize it yet. Um, yeah. And I really liked the end when they all dressed up as the band Kiss. I thought that yeah. that was really funny. And they yeah. all looked, like, really cool. Yeah. I was like, I, damn. Along the LARPing note, I love the scene where he kind of 
goes to apologize at the diner and they're all in their LARPing outfits. Yes. And he's talking to him and then the lady comes over, Denver omelet? <laughs> and she's like, do you want syrup on it? He's like, decaf, decaf. Like, it's just yeah, so yeah, funny because yeah. you see Ken Jeong just breaking character. He's like, why thou come to the king at his royal supper? And he's like, no, 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 decaf, decaf. Like, oh, just so funny to me. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I really like this comedy. I, I thought it was good. And I think the kids are really fun too. Like, the one yeah. kid is is very vulgar, but I I, I think he's hilarious, Bobby J, uh, J. Thompson. And then Christopher Mintz Plots, I think, has like some really nice moments when he's like, hey, you want to come in and play this game? And Paul Rudd's like, nah, man, I'm okay. And he kind of has this like, okay. Like, it, it's that one moment where you're like, oh, man, he's like, oh, he's so alone and so sad. Um, yeah. Yeah, you really root for Augie. And, and I like his little romance at the end. He yeah. I, like, yeah, I thought that he... Yeah. McLovin had a great little character arc. I think that he was honestly like the standout character and actor in this movie. I got I got to be honest. I really, really enjoyed his performance, um, mm. which was unexpected. I, I didn't know that he was going to have this cute little arc. And I was like, oh, this is sweet. I like this. Yeah. Um, Cool. So that's role models. What did you give this, Kelsey, on a scale of one to ten? I gave role models a five out of ten. Wow. I, I I stuck consistent on this one. I gave it a seven. Um. So okay. I'm sticking. Same with Clueless. Like I think Clueless, like you said, is a better written film. This one I think is just. I I think this is more of a surprise. So like I think this is kind of. I, I had very similar viewing experiences with both. I I laughed a lot with both. Um. And now let's yeah. move on to a film that I'm very excited to talk to you about because I know how you feel about the first one. Let's okay. talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. Um, so got a blanket, uh, you know, exposition here. Kelsey and I did a 31 Days of Halloween episode recently, uh, or not recently, a few months ago at this point. But we covered all yeah. the movies. We talked about all the movies we watched Halloween uh, in October. And she watched Ghostbusters for the first time, a film that I love, a film that she famously does not like um, mm. and was underwhelmed by. Uh, so I was interested to see as someone who is a fan watching Ghostbusters Afterlife versus someone who is not a fan watching this legacy sequel, because we've seen a lot of legacy mm -hmm. sequels at this point, you know, uh, where they bring back old actors for the new movies. But it's also kind of like this new generation of actors as well. Um, right. I'm very interested to see if you like this more or if you like this less or if this makes the original better or if this is much better than the original. I want to know all your thoughts on this. So take us into the world of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Tell us about it and then let us know what you thought. All right, Ghostbusters Afterlife came out last year in 2022? Uh, 2021. Late 2021. 2021. So it's a little over a year old. Okay, so came out in 2021, directed by Jason Reitman. Reitman? Reitman. Yeah. Uh, Son of um, Ivan Reitman, who directed the original Ghostbusters. Oh! Mm -hmm. What a yeah, fun little legacy moment there! I didn't know in the, that. In the family, in the family. Wow, he also directed, keeping it uh, in the family. You, you might bring this up, but he also directed, uh, directed Juno. Yes, up in the air, Tully. Thank yes, you for smoking. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, I wrote down he directed Juno. He directed some episodes of the American um, Office, um, and he directed um, the Front Runner uh, with uh, starring Hugh Jackman. Oh, um, yeah. So. Um, Here's my little synopsis for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Years after the original Ghostbusters defeated Gozer in New York, signs of his return arise in a small town in Oklahoma, and it's up to Egon Spengler's grandchildren to defeat him. Mm. Um, well, first, Dill, I'll start this right off the bat, but saying I liked this one a lot better than the original. Okay. I just thought that tonally it felt 
more right. Like there was a little bit more of a spooky vibe to it. There were even some like some jump scares, not a ton. I definitely wouldn't call this like a scary movie or anything like that. But, um, you know, it just felt a little spookier. Um, you know, this like middle America, small town vibes, um, this family that's kind of like down on their luck. They, they don't have like a ton of money. They go to clean out the house or like the collect the, you know, whatever's left of them of their, uh, grandfather who passed away, Egon Spangler, one of the original Ghostbusters. Um, and you know, spooky, spooky things arise and the ghost have not been busted and they need some good busting. Um, (laughs) so, uh, I, I just liked it. Honestly, the standout for me and oh also another marvel actor in this one mckenna grace who plays a young carol danvers in captain marvel um who's completely transformed for this movie she's darker hair uh cute little haircut on her she's wearing glasses she's this nerdy little girl who just loves science um and yeah, she was the standout for me in yeah. this one, and for sure. Another uh, J.K. Simmons also in this one uh, makes an appearance. What? Where yeah. was J.K. Simmons in he's, this movie? Tell me right now. Uh, I'll find a picture because I can't pronounce his his name. Ivo Shandor. Um, he's like he's got the big beard and the mustache. Uh, let me find a picture. This, is, if you can see, he's this guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I that's see. J.K. Simmons. Um, and then of course, uh, Carrie Coon, the mother, voices Proxima Midnight in Avengers: Infinity War. So it's kind of cool little moments there, um, right? <laughs> well, she Wait. does like the motion capture for Proxima Midnight. She's one of Thanos's like army girl. Yeah, the girl. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know who Proxima Midnight is. Oh my god, Dill, you are so right. That's crazy. <laughs> Damn, yeah. I should have made I think that that's connection. It. No, it's fine. And then we're going to see, of course, Bill Murray in Quantumania. Um, so a lot of crossover here. Um, I know. Well, I, I got to admit, I think the one thing I don't love about this movie is that it takes itself way too seriously. And it does feel more like your vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think yeah. I think the vibe for me just felt so, I, I think on its own, like as like a spooky movie about like ancestry and going to this like little farmhouse and stuff like that. Like, I think the vibes are great, but for a ghostbuster sequel it feels so tonally out of line with the original like it feels like sure these two movies do not belong in the same universe except for a few effects but then when those effects are like kind of cheesy and campy they don't feel like they belong in this universe so i I felt like almost this was the the style was the one thing that i didn't love but again i'm coming from this as an angle of someone who loves the original ghostbusters Mm. loves that kind of camp feel that kind of low budget nature whereas here i'm like hmm, i don't know it's almost a little too too reimagined in terms of its style um but i i do think a lot of the great callbacks to the original i think the strongest aspects of this movie are the legacy moments you know when you bring the originals back at the end to fight mm-hmm. and you have the ghost which we'll, t- we'll talk about that in a sec because that's a little <laughs> bit of a problematic element but yeah um but yeah like you have the stay puff marshmallow guys in the bag like i yeah. love that stuff especially because paul rudd is so funny in those moments too and we'll talk about him yeah. but yeah like I, th- I think this is a great homage to the love and the fandom of ghostbusters but i think stylistically it's a little out of line um sure. but i do think it's good like i i enjoyed it when i saw it the first time in theaters um for some reason though it just it, it for me i always prefer the original I, I just think the original is more my speed in terms of what i want from a ghostbusters film but it's interesting talking to someone who just discovered the original and is like kind of 
looking at it from a different lens because I definitely think this is much more um, in tune with a lot of the stuff that we're seeing nowadays and, and just movies nowadays. Like it feels very much like the style of what we're seeing nowadays. And I think that's a good thing. Like, I think it's kind of in line with a lot of blockbusters that are being made, um, especially sci-fi horror-ish blockbusters. Um, and it gave me a little bit of Stranger Things vibes because, you know, film yeah. cards in it. So maybe yeah. that's why, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but I did like it. And Paul Rudd's kind of like the, the um, Hopper type character. I don't know. Um, sure. And then, and then there's a character named Podcast. So that's cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> reminded me of, of, of what I would be in this, in this movie. Um, <laughs> really quickly though, do you, do you want to talk about the, the Harold Ramis shit? Because that's, that's always kind of bugged me the wrong way. So Harold Ramis who plays, uh, oh my God, what's his name again? The, the one who died, Yvonne. Egon Spangler. Spangler. I always forget his name because it's the most different. You know, the other ones are Peter, Raymond and Winston and he's Egon. I'm like, All right. yeah, <laughs> um, but he famously or not famously notably passed away. Uh, about a decade ago now at this point, Harold Ramis. Um, and so for this movie, in the beginning, they have, I think, like a stand-in double. And the way they shoot the film is, because the opening scene, you see his character's death. Yeah. But they use a body double, obviously. And the way they film it, you can't really tell who it is or whatever. But then at the end, they decide to go the whole, uh, the whole like, kind of weird post-mortem type thing where they bring the old actor back, even though he's dead, and do like a CGI version of him. But yeah. they also age him up to where, like, they're trying to make it seem like he was an actor in this movie. I always find it really uncomfortable when movies try to, like, recreate the actors who died. Like, I know that was a big worry that would happen with Wakanda Forever is people are like, please just don't give us a CGI Chadwick because that's going to yeah. be just so uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. And I think the CGI here is good, but it's just kind of weird where I'm like, it's almost a little kind of unsettling to see someone who and, and obviously they got permission by his estate and stuff like they were able to use his his face Image, but like yeah but it's it just it, it kind of rose me the wrong way i don't i don't know yeah. i don't like when movies do that i'd rather them either just recast it or not not have him there like have it be the yeah. other three show up in spirit of him i think making a ghost egon kind of like feels almost like they're trying too hard to like really lean into the IP and, and when they don't have to, they have the other Ghostbusters there. It, it just felt like a little bit of a dirty practice to get the feels out of the audience. And sure. I know some Ghostbusters fans who are off put by it, but, but some love it. They're like, Oh my God, we get to see Harold Ramis again. Like this movie brought mm. Harold back. And I'm like, I don't know. It, that part has always stuck out to me and always made me uncomfortable, but I don't know. Obviously be not being a super big fan of the original. Like, did you have any thoughts about that or in general using dead actors faces and recreating their bodies with CGI? Cause they did it with some star Wars movies as well with, uh, right. With Grandma Carrie. Tarkin. Well, oh. Carrie was different cause they had already filmed her stuff and then she died. Um, so they kind of just reused footage. Oh, okay. Here okay. they're creating him out of CGI completely. Um, right. So well, any thoughts on that? Dill, I'm embarrassed to say this is the first that I'm, learning of this i didn't know i didn't know that oh. the actor had passed away gotcha, and that gotcha. which makes sense now because i was like huh it's kind of a it's a shame that they brought the original back and now like he can't be back with them i was thinking that that was a little weird yeah, but now yeah. it makes so much sense that mm. the actor had, no has stuff. passed and that's and that's why he's not with the original um mm. so yeah it 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 doesn't feel great you know, I feel like there's other ways of like kind of doing there. There's I feel like there's a line between doing something out of memorial for some for someone and then like disrespecting 
the dead. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I feel like this kind of like crosses that line a little bit because as much as I feel like they kind of pitched it to like his estate or his family members or whoever, like, oh, this would be a great heart heartwarming moment for fans of Ghostbusters. I agree with you. I think it was like a total like ploy to just like, you know, tug on some like feelings. And also, it feels like, kind of gross. You and know? the whole movie is the fact that he's not there. It's his spirit. And like that's yeah. the whole movie is McKenna Grace's character kind of like feeling him around and like getting clues from him but not seeing him. I don't know why they just didn't go down that path. Even the, that right. first scene, I don't mind because it's a body double. There, it's very hard to make out who it is anyway. Yeah, so it's like it's not. It doesn't feel disrespectful. But at the end, to bring him back, I was like, hey, it just was. It was weird to me. Um, it, like, like it would be as if, like I said, like if they brought Chadwick into Wakanda forever for his, like at the end, you see a ghost of him, but it's like this recreated CGI version. Like it would have been so yeah. weird, I think, and off, yeah. off putting. Um. Well, yeah. Let's talk about Paul, uh, Paul Rudd, though, because because that's what we're here to do. What do you think of Paul Rudd? Yeah, um, I thought that out of the three movies that we watched, this is the most similar to Ant-Man. It might yeah. just because this performance is fresh off of his, mm -hmm. you know, he's in the midst of still playing the role of Scott Lang. And he gets to so do some maybe, action here, too, which helps. Yeah. Um, honestly, Dill, this movie, had I... I I liked it better than the original, but I don't want you to think that I like this movie or like think that right. this was like a good movie. I mean, I thought it was fine. Um, this movie had me up until like the end. First of all, I thought that this movie was entirely too long. I thought yeah. that some, you know, I feel like a big chunk of it could have been cut out or rushed or not as, you know, went on as long as it did. Um, and it, and I think that he could have had a bigger part. He seemed really, really removed from the main storyline. Like maybe if they had started the relationship between him and the mother, like right off the bat, like day one when they moved to town sort of thing. And they kind of had this blossoming romance um, throughout it. I feel like that would have worked better than what it what had happened. Because like all in all, I feel like he was the movie is two hours long. And I feel like we only watched him in like a quarter of it. Like I feel yeah, like he was only in like 30 minutes total in, yeah. in this movie. And we talked about how like kind of dirty studio practices with bringing back the dead. But I think it's also a dirty studio practice to cast a big star mm -hmm. and then make him the central part of the marketing to get people yes. to see. Because I don't know if you remember those trailers. He was in every trailer and the trailer, the original trailer was just him in the grocery store with the marshmallow men. Yes. That was the trailer. So yeah. when people saw this movie, they were like, oh, he's really not in it a ton. And honestly, when going back and picking the movies for this, I was like, well, let's watch that because it's new and he's he's the lead of it. Then I forgot when I was watching, I was like, oh, wait, he's not the lead of it. Um, And I think that's kind of another dirty studio practice of, well, Carrie Coon's not a big name. Finn Wolfhard's a big name, but not big enough to build a movie on. So like, let's make right. him like our marquee selling point. At that point, you might as well just brand the Bill Murray, Ernie Hudson and Dan Aykroyd as like the selling point. Say, oh, the original right. Ghostbusters are coming in back because. At the time when I saw this and when most people saw this in theaters, nobody knew those three were coming back or that they were right. coming back Harold Ramis um, in CGI form. So like yeah. no one knew that that was coming, even though people figured that would happen um, sure. just because it's a legacy sequel. Or maybe they did. Maybe I think the end of the trailer had like Bill Murray's voice picking up the phone and then hanging it up or Dan Aykroyd to where yeah. you're like, okay, they're going to make like a small appearance and they do. It's a small yeah. appearance. But yeah. again, you're, you're selling a different movie than, is actually being presented and while I right. think he's good in it i agree like i think he, i honestly think he was there to make the to market the movie it was the same thing with zendaya in dune 
She was like in 15 minutes of that movie, maybe. The only defense for that is that it's half of a book and she's a huge part of the second half to where I'm like, okay, I get it. Like you stop the story in the middle. She's going to have a bigger part in the second one. Here, there's no bigger part after this one. It's just that. I I get your sentiment. It's like they really used her in that marketing to be like, hey, look who's in this Hey, it's It's going to be Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet. No, it's going to be 90% Timothy Chalamet and Sand and then 5% Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya. I mean, look who's, who's, I had this right by it. Look whose face is the biggest next to Timothy's. It's Zendaya and Oscar Isaac. And I'd argue that the next biggest character is his mom. And then, right. honestly, probably her. I, I don't know, though. Like, Zendaya's not a huge part of that movie, and she's yet... She's I like, watched that movie when I was her. hungover, so I couldn't tell you really what was going on there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this... I, I Honestly, this is the movie that I'm probably most disappointed in, just Paul Rudd-wise, just because I feel like, you know, this is a role that we, we've seen him do before. This one feels like the most similar and, you know, not... And, like... I am not completely blaming him because I think that they didn't really write his character character to be a super big, you know, pivotal role in this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that he was doing the best with what he had. Um, but yeah, I am. I'm, I kind of wish that we picked a, a different movie to, to yeah, end I'm on sorry. just because no, no it it's fine. My, my we were both yeah, played. Like, yeah. We were played yeah. by the marketing. We thought but he I was going to be bigger. I had seen the movie already in theaters and I, oh. I was played. I was <laughs> okay. Played well, then yeah, I do blame you. Well, it's because the most memorable moments for me was, is that Harold Ramis recreated by CGI? And Oh, hmm. he's fighting the little marshmallow men. Like those are the two right. moments I remember. So yeah. I was like, Oh, cool. He's in it. Um, but also, it's also good because that's like his most recent big movie next to Ant-Man. So yeah. I think it is it is important to look at in terms of a whole career. I, I get why we picked it. Um, yeah. But again, if we do round twos of all these, assuming Marvel's Movie Mondays goes on to like 2068, we're going to need to revisit <laughs> more movies. And we'll, we'll talk about Fundamentals of Caring. We'll talk about uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Anchorman, Wet Hot American yeah. Summer, some of those. So. And honestly, Dale, I should have seen the originals coming back. I remember hearing Bill Murray's voice in the trailer, but I didn't know if that was just like a trauma response I was having because I hate um, like seeing and hearing Bill Murray. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was getting to, essentially. Um, But I was like, oh, yeah, I totally did hear his voice in the trailer. So he's definitely coming. And I just feel like it took them so long to get there, to get them Mm -hmm. to the original come to to come back and help defeat Mm -hmm. Gozer. So it was just like, uh, yeah, it was it really had me up until like the mom and Paul Rudd like got possessed and they were like being really weird and like saying weird things to each other and i was like okay you've lost me i'm i've I've had enough now i would like this to be over yeah Um, yeah like i was reading back my original review and i leaned positive on it i gave it like a six out of ten which to me is like positive but now we're thinking about it and talking about it i'm like i think i'm bumping it down to a five i i I also gave it a six out of ten and i'm also rethinking that ranking now i'm bumping it down to a five right now i'm I'm literally doing it as we speak on my letterbox i'm like boop but like i said right off the bat the person that I was most impressed with watching this film was McKenna Grace. And I'm honestly God happy that she's a Marvel actor because then this watching this movie wasn't a total bust because this movie just made me so excited for her career because she's still so young. Um, she's, she's done like so many different roles now. She's been, 
you know, she's done like the young Carol Danvers stuff. She was in the movie Gifted with Chris Evans, uh, another obviously Marvel actor um, where she played the really uh, intelligent girl. And in this movie, I just thought that she she really just transformed into this whole other side of her that we haven't seen yet. And she's so young. And I'm just like, I cannot wait for it to yeah. for her to grow up and like see what she does next. I think that I she's think going she's... to be like the next star on the rise. I'm really, really excited for her. Yeah, I fully think she's the strongest part of this. Um yeah, yeah like if I had to say there was a standout, it's her and then the little marshmallow scene. Um for sure. Yeah. Um and I even that's... liked your little friend podcast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he was very I, funny I can... too. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just funny because his name's Bobby. Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Also, did you notice there was Baskin Robbins in the store? Yes, I did see the Baskin Robbins. And I just thought, dude, why are you buying Baskin Robbins? It's trash. Also, it's a different movie call out, callback. So I, I get why they did it. But yeah, yeah for um, sure. No, but you're right. It's not the best, but I still like it. I, I still have yeah, some in my that's freezer. That's crazy. Um, not uh, the ones we had. Like I finished that, but like no, I I, I figured. <laughs> um, you know what was really good though when Duncan, yeah. Duncan and Baskin Robbins have the same owners. Mm -hmm. I love when Duncan does the Baskin Robbins flavored coffees. It's like, oh um, okay, they've got like mint chocolate chip or Rocky Road flavored yeah yeah uh, yeah coffees. I'm like those are fun. Um, so those so you give it a five as well. Yeah. Okay, so that's five for me as well. Um, so overall, like, not the best slate of movies, but I still think it's, like, you know, it's a good showcase of Paul Rudd's versatility, mm -hmm. you know, the likable everyman and Clueless, kind of the more dad action figure in, in Ghostbusters Afterlife, and then kind of the, you know, enemy turn or, like, unlikable guy turned hero uh, in yeah. role models, kind of the whole package. Um, but that's that. That is uh, that is Paul Rudd Movie Club. Um Kelsey, next week we will be talking for Valentine's Day. We have something fun planned. Why don't you tell the viewers yes. what we're doing for Valentine's Day? We are going to be ranking um, the Marvel ships. Uh, you know, a little lovey-dovey episode and nod yeah. to like the uh, Nina, Valentine's the Pita, Day. The Santa Maria, like those ships. Okay. <laughs> I'm the relationships still. Oh. The, like Peggy and Steve, Tony and Pepper, Vision and Wanda. Lingo, lingo. I'm sorry. I'm trying to, isn't what, that talk. what the kids are saying about? Isn't that, you know, yeah, Gen yeah. No, Z right. lingo? I'm you're trying right. to, you know, right. I'm pandering yeah. to an are audience. Picking, still. Are we picking like a top 10 or we're just going to rank every single one? Or are you going to like give um, me a list? Well, I'll make a list of all okay, we'll that them. I think the most important ones are and then we'll rank them together cool so let us know good. down below which uh couples or which ships we should include uh next week which which is your favorite marvel ship um i like that one too yeah um so the dill pickle movie network and youtube is my favorite ship um the dill pickle podcast and the dill pickle movie network is my favorite ship um no um it's it's really dill shameless dylan self plug dylan and miss minutes will be on there um we are going to be number one dylan and miss minutes and we can put kelsey and whoever you want to be paired up with um, um on, on the list in the too. marvel universe yeah i guess i have to pick someone who isn't taken well miss minutes i'll i'll uh i'll think of this well you yeah. have miss no. minutes right so she's taken is what i'm saying <laughs> now, that's what i'm saying so i have to no, but I mean like a character that's oh, not also involved with someone yeah. else. Oh, no, you know who I picked? Joking, Easy. Yeah, okay. I want to be paired up with Bucky. 
Okay, fine. Yeah, so so Kelsey and Bucky and me and Miss Minutes will be on the ranking too, just for funsies. Um, yeah, Kelsey will give me a full list, and then next week we'll rank them. Uh, otherwise, that's all from me. You can find me at Dylan underscore Randazzo at Twitter. You can find me at Dylan Randazzo 417 at TikTok. You can find me at the Dill Pickle Movie Network if you're watching. Um, also, we just launched a podcast for the network called the Dill Pickle Podcast. This is still its own podcast because it's been fine on its own. Um, so you can find us here on the Marvelous Movie Mondays podcast, but also check out the Dill Pickle Podcast. We've got two podcasts going. we got a movie network. We got some socials. It's it's a bunch of fun. And we're doing a 24-hour subathon on the 18th where we will be doing our Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania review live during that subathon, which will be a lot of fun. And we'll be having two trivia matches during that subathon. We'll be having a Harry Potter match during that subathon, with, which Kelsey will be competing in. It'll be a fun old time. Kelsey, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Kelsey A. Kilpatrick. And you can follow me on TikTok at Cause13. I have some projects in the works that'll Ooh. probably be coming out um later on in the year so um when those are up and running i'll Anything surely announce those tease? no um i'm t well if you go to my youtube channel at cause productions you'll notice that there's i've been working on a sketch series with me and my friend lily called heidi and lola and mm -hmm. you might be seeing more of those down the cool. line um so i'm excited for that and i might be venturing off to do my own little cute little podcast so stay tuned for that as well very exciting um we love to see it and thank you again as kelsey said in the beginning of the episode we have a lot of great subscribers thank you for coming aboard um and thank you for continuing to come aboard and please tune in on the 18th we're gonna try to hit the goal is 2,000 subscribers but i don't think we'll get there but we have okay. some prizes that we're going to unlock for every amount of subscribers we get. 15 subscribers unlocks that Harry Potter match. So if you want to see this one, go up against four, three other hosts from the show, from the channel. Uh, if you, you want to see me win at yet another movie trivia event, uh, you'll subscribe to the channel during the subathon. Yep. And then if we hit, uh, what did I say, 500 subscriptions, we are going to have... The Roast of Dill, which is where Kelsey and all <laughs> other hosts of the channel, Kelsey will be hosting that roast and will help uh, give give me some humble pie on a silver platter. Um, yeah. So I'm very... Anything that I can do, Dill. So I, I would encourage you not to subscribe, but I want you to subscribe. So if you subscribe, it's a win-lose for me. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much. I rambled on enough, but thank you. Enjoy this final uh, new intro, new year, new intro. We'll see you next time. <laughs>